Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Want a great way to recognize your employees? Check out Custom Inc. Have you ever thought about doing something special for your customers? Custom Inc. can do that too. And wouldn't your team love some custom gear? Custom Inc. is ready. Custom Inc. is your go-to custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. Plus, everything is 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Check out what we can do for your business at custominc.com. Welcome in, GC Live. Wes Mitchell here, Chris Clark, coming at you Tuesday of game week. And plenty to talk about, Chris. I mean, we we did not schedule a guest today. We do have some guests coming up that I'm really excited about. Already locked in tomorrow, already locked in for Thursday. No guests today because I figured we'd get something out of today with everything going on. Um, and it did, it, it did disappoint if you're a South Carolina fan as far as Having things to talk about did not disappoint. But first of all, Chris, tell everybody about why we even have a daily show. This daily show being made possible by, as you see right there above my head, AffordableMedicalUSA.com. Um, but I would even say most importantly, the fact that they are the home of the game day chair. They are the home of the game day chair. And you may ask, what is the game day chair? Well, you can find out uh, if you go to GamecockCentral.com right now on our front page. Don't close this window because you got to keep watching us. But at some point, go to GamecockCentral.com, check out the links to Affordable Medical USA or specifically to the game day chair. It is up in the top left corner. That's a little small photo of it. It's basically the most comfortable, awesome chair for your game day viewing. Check it out. Um, we have a link to it there. Give those guys a call. Visit their website. And uh, we certainly appreciate their support of the show. We're going to be doing some more stuff to showcase the game day chair in future shows but I'm excited about it. Excited to be here for the show and appreciate their support in making this happen. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll, um, I, I imagine we're going to get to show everybody the game day chair at some point, maybe in person. So uh, we'll see. Uh, welcome in again. It is GC live. We're going daily. Now, if you missed the news yesterday, we're going to be every single day during the college football season. Um, we're going to kind of settle in on a time. I think at some point right now we've been doing 2 PM. I don't want to say that's definitely when we're going to do it every time. Uh, we're sort of just, I guess, playing it by ear, but we'll see. Uh, obviously, right now, if you're watching, we're live on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Gamecock Central, Facebook, Twitter slash Periscope, and after the podcast is recorded, we are uh, archived all over all the major podcast networks. So no matter how you're watching or listening, we appreciate you getting in. I see some some names already in, Craig, Frederick, um, Kay Foster. I think that might be a new name. Greg Faircloth is not a new name. And uh, so we appreciate everybody that's joining us. And I know everybody has um, really a, a lot to say based on when I tweeted out that Jalen Brooks is not uh, going to be eligible to play this year, at least right now, uh, is seeking the waiver from the NCAA. That was denied. They will seek 
um, to now have it, uh, you know, approved a different way. I, we don't we don't ever know exactly what this pay paperwork looks like, but they are going to appeal it. And Chris, we uh, and I'll, I'll get into that in a second. So first of all, I give everyone permission if you want to comment. Um, you will not be banned, I don't think, for for getting upset. But uh, what were your thoughts on Jalen Brooks and? Were you surprised that it came down as a denial? Surprised that it came down as a denial this quick? I mean, he. Re- I, I know fans were getting tired of having to ask the question about it, but um, compared to some of these other waivers, man, um, it, it was a fairly quick no, I, I thought. So what, what, what was just your initial reaction on what I would say is probably the biggest news we got today? I was not surprised at the denial at all. It, it's hard. You know, again, we talk about this all the time, man. There's there's not any rhyme or reason, you know, to what the NCAA does. Maybe they have some sort of internal protocol, um, and, and they could really do themselves a service to the public, not that anybody would necessarily buy it if they did explain it a little bit more, just their general processes, but they don't. And so it's left open to interpretation. And what most people see, and I think there's, you know, some teeth behind this, it's largely arbitrary, subjective, whatever word you want to use to describe it. So I was not surprised at the the denial. Uh, I think everybody was hopeful that something would come down before the season, at least. So you didn't have a Nick Muse situation from last year where, you know, they approved the kid, but, oh, it's after the first game as if they needed some sort of extra time to assess what was already the facts of the situation. So, uh, you know, it, I wasn't surprised by it. I did think it was nonsensical, uh, you know, because there's a couple of different components to it. And I don't know how deep you wanted to dive into it right right here and, and now, or if we were going to sort of go bit by bit. But just to get it out of the way, you know, first you got the, the circumstances where the kid transfers for legitimate family reasons to get closer to home. I don't know if, an, if another stop between South Carolina and Wingate, the short stint at Tarleton State, did that play in? I don't, I don't have a clue. But what you see is you see the NCAA do stuff like Cade Mays gets denied on August 17th at Tennessee, but then he appeals. The facts really aren't different, right? The facts happen. And then about a month later, he gets cleared. So maybe that happens here and it's during the season, but then it's during the season. Uh, you know, you've got that. And then you've got the fact that this is an open eligibility year. The NCAA has gone through already and said it does not matter the circumstances. We are gifting everybody a free year of eligibility. So was I surprised by the outcome? No, because it's the NCAA and a lot of things they do don't make sense. But it is nonsensical for all those reasons, right? The number one one to me, man, being that they're giving literally giving everybody a year of eligibility across the board. Doesn't matter if you've had family circumstances doesn't matter if you've had a COVID circumstance. They're giving it to everybody, but then you're denying a kid who's moving up a level, coming close to home, uh, you know, an opportunity to play. So it doesn't make sense. Hopefully for him, the appeal works out. We just don't know if it will or not. Yeah, and and we don't know, again, uh, when the appeal will be sort of uh, viewed and, and when they'll sort of decide where, where to go from here, you know. So I think – and I've seen – you know, there was even a question on here right now. Uh, you know, why uh, why does USC struggle in this department? You know, I would say, I mean, South Carolina has gotten guys. Um, they they haven't really struggled in this department. You know, like they've gotten guys eligible. Now, the timing has sometimes been 
um, strange, less than ideal. Nick Muse last year, and and he, um, I don't know if you were on there during the the Muse call, uh, Chris, but you know he even said he was like I, I was denied twice uh, before I before I got it, and then somebody was like, well, wait, we didn't know that before, and he was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that, and then he went he went on to say that. Oh no, I, I was denied. You know, USC told me to rewrite some stuff. So, I, and I, I don't know. I don't know if he just said that because he was like, "Oh, was I supposed to say that or not?" Or if he truly did, did it take so long last time with Muse because there was a denial. You know, so um, you know, I, I think you look and certainly the NCAA and, and South Carolina and, and the fan base has a reason to be upset on this one. I wouldn't say necessarily that they've been in a, a a bad situation as far as the actual results of these things before now. I mean, Josh Belk, uh, he was he got a waiver to play right away. I'm trying to think the last time they were truly denied uh, on one of these situations, which means South Carolina, I believe, is putting a a good case forward um, in these situations. The problem is, and again, I mean, it's PR. 101, if you're the NCAA, I mean, you almost need to just come out with some reasons when you do these things so that you don't just get absolutely trashed. Because right now, the fact that we're doing this in the middle of COVID and, you know, there's a pandemic, you already know depth charts are going to be affected by that if you want to look at it just from a football standpoint. And it's a free year. That's the thing that's sort of – it's a free year anyway – Um, and I know the NCAA is probably saying we don't want it to be free agency, right? We don't want to come out and say anybody who transfers is free to transfer and play right away. They don't want to just come out and say that, but dude, big 10 is back playing football. This, the school year has already started the football season for all the major conferences save the Big Ten, and then the Pac-12 will be started by this Saturday. Nobody, Nobody's hopping from school to school right now just because they hear, oh, everybody's getting eligible. So what, you know, what, what even sense does it make sense um, in a year where everything is free as far as eligibility? Like what, what I, it, I, don't, I don't understand, which, is, again, the NCAA, that's what happens – People like you and me are going to say y'all are full of it if you don't come out and and give some explanation. I you know I, I think Chris, we've talked about Will Muschamp body language in press conferences, and um, Muschamp first of all in a very good mood today overall. Um, he came out. He even said he said South Carolina kicks off with Tennessee this Saturday night, Williams Bryce Stadium, SEC Network. Let me let me say that again because he was excited about we're actually on a game week. But when he said Jalen Brooks' waiver has been denied, we will appeal. I don't have anything else to say about that. Essentially, I was like, okay, they're a they're still working through it, and they don't want to say anything to potentially harm the case. But you know, I, I sort of took it like I can't say this, but this this ain't right. Yeah, I mean, he, he was not very, you know, happy about that. And there are two components too, like you said. I mean, so I think some people 
would like to hear the coaching staff or Will Muschamp specifically, you know, say something about it. Of you know, we hate it for Jalen or we don't agree. You know, you do see that happen across the country sometimes. But right now, when there's an appeal that's either ongoing or about to be ongoing, you know, you want to hold back. Don't do anything to damage the kids' chances on on, on that. Maybe you say something afterwards, right? And Buschep has said going in, you know, that they felt like Jalen had a good case. And and really he does, man. I mean, when you look at, you know, I've criticized the NCAA in the past for some of their waivers that they have granted. And I've only done that because relative to some of the ones that you do know about where there's, you know, a tragic circumstance or something like that. I mean, Luke Ford, who transferred from Georgia, you know, back closer to his home state of, I believe, Illinois, you know, that was one that, that was just completely nonsensical. Uh, I don't know all the Justin Fields or the uh, the Tate Martells and all those different types of things. Maybe there were other things that went into it, but you know those things weren't publicized. And so, you know, we take we take what you know, and and when you know that there's some kind of circumstances with a kid that's you know gives him a legitimate reason to move. It's not just a free agency type thing. It's not just I want to go play at a different school because things aren't going well or whatever it may be. And that makes it difficult. And like you said, man, when they open it up and they just gift everybody free eligibility, it makes it an even worse look, you know, for the NCAA. So I don't really anticipate them changing how they do things because they're pretty, you know, stubborn with it. Uh, But you you hate it for Jalen. At least they knew. Look, here's the thing. At least they know where things stand right now. Okay, because this is something that we've talked about. That Buschamp has mentioned. They they needed to be in position, um, ideally, where they could figure out how are you splitting reps because Jalen has been one of the top three guys sometimes in practice or a lot of times during the preseason. Um, so you need to know now that it's game week, you know, you started prep on Tennessee back on Thursday. How are you splitting your reps? And now you know that at least going into Saturday, Jalen's not going to be available. So now, you know, you, you don't practice them. You don't give them a ton of reps because you got other guys that you need to be, be bring along. So I guess that's the only positive out of this is that they know now I imagine they would have dialed back his reps anyway if it was still unknown going into Saturday uh, but we'll, we'll see what happens in terms of the appeal really don't know that the other the only other question that came to mind for me man was timeline on appeal who knows I mean who really knows I mentioned Cade Mays earlier uh, August 17th I think he was denied and then a few days ago he got cleared so it took around a month and he's still got to be cleared by the SEC actually too so uh, you know, will it take a month to get word back on Jalen's appeal? Will it take less? Will it take more? Uh, I really don't know. Yeah, and uh, who could really say? All right, so obviously other news today as well. Will Muschamp, first press conference of the year. Um, not first press conference of the year, obviously. First game day, like game week, Tuesday presser, traditional, getting things rolling. That was a nice sign just to see that happening again. Players previewed Tennessee and – Depth chart released, uh, probably be the first and only depth chart we get this season. So uh, look at it and enjoy it. But, dude, so all right, let's go before we go into the depth chart and other things that stood out. Let's talk about the impact of no Jalen Brooks. I mean, I've gotten, I've gotten several texts from people during the preseason saying, "Need to get Jalen Brooks eligible." Hey. We need this Jalen Brooks guy to play. Hey, this guy can help us. So we're not going to spin it and say, oh, well, this doesn't matter because this is someone that they were counting on to be able to come in and potentially help. So now I think you have an even 
I said this even with Jalen Brooks in the rotation, Chris, but I think absolutely now this is a situation where all the guys at receiver are going to get thrown in there, including these true freshmen, be it Luke Doty who's playing both, Rico Powers, obviously, who we've talked up a bunch. You see Jakari Caldwell's name on that uh, on that list as well in the two deep. So I think you look at it, this depth chart is going to sort of be fluid for most of the year. I think these are the guys that are getting the day one chance. But as this game goes on, as this year goes on, how, how much does Rico Powers get more and more comfortable? How much does Jakari Caldwell, who's just – Started out maybe behind Rico Powers, but has come on, come on, come on, obviously. So I think it's a situation there still, you know, receiver, it's kind of been weird. That, that's been the biggest question mark coming in. Then you hear, you hear some positive things about developments there. Now you don't have Jalen Brooks. It's a question. But I also think there's some young guys that as this year goes along, Chris, could become better and better players and potentially – that position can progress and grow as this year goes on. Yeah, and so, you know, I, I think there's potential for a lot of evolution here. Um, you know, we, we get caught up in depth charts preseason, who's starting, and there's good reason for that. But particularly, I think the word you use, fluid, with the wide receiver group, will the top guys be the top guys throughout the season? Um, maybe Jalen can, can step in later. Maybe he's a non-factor because he's not eligible the whole season. That That's possible. But aside from that, who's going to perform the best? There's a lot of questions. The coaches aren't entirely sure what they're going to get out of guys. They probably feel like Shy Smith's going to be pretty consistent this year. They hope they've even been, you know, that's something they've been harping on even this offseason, even going into his senior season, be more consistent. But the room looks different than they thought. They don't have Jalen, which they weren't sure. You know, even going Dreek Davis and Ortre Smith, they opted out. They thought they'd have them preseason. You know, so there's some different things there. And the guys that start, you know, one or two of them will – I think Xavier and Shire are going to be the starters. But how much do the other guys play? Does South Carolina bring along a Will Register who hasn't played a ton even though he's a junior? Does Eric Shaw come on when Jaheim Bell comes back? What does he do? All those tight ends, do they end up playing more two tight end sets as the year progresses? or even from the jump, because they don't feel as good about the receivers. Uh, that's possible. You go back to, remember, Wes, um, what was that, the 20, was that 2016 when Jamari Smith started in the slot for South Carolina um, that year? Yeah. And he just, yeah. he unfortunately just, he had a couple drops in the game. He just seemed to lose a little confidence. And then he wasn't much of a factor. You know, he began the year as a starter, like, thought that he had a chance to do some good things. And so I'm not saying that to pick on him at all, just as an example of, you know, what you think you may have at the beginning of the year could certainly change. And so if a guy like Rico Powers, Jakari Caldwell, you know, join or see how much receiver Doty ends up playing in game situations, if they get opportunities and they make the most of it and they show themselves to be reliable playmakers, then they're probably going to get an opportunity to continue playing more. Josh Van's one that Kay Foster thirteen thirteen mentioned. I still think Josh Van's got a lot more talent than what's shown on a consistent basis. So can he take advantage and, and sort of take a um, you know an opportunity and run with it in a game? Yep. Yeah, so just a, a little. There was already some pressure on those guys, man. A little more pressure added. Um, pressure to, to to perform in that they're going to be needed. You know, I, I think you you circle the tight ends, you circle the receivers. Um, 
all those guys are going to be challenged to go out there and, uh, you know, and play. And, and I think, you know, and, and Muschamp was asked about the tight ends. It was kind of interesting hearing, like, the sort of dichotomy there of Muse talking about, hey, we're, we feel like we can be the best group in the SEC as a group. And I, I think Nick is trying to take on that leadership role and build the confidence of the guys around him and sort of, you know, co-sign for them and be like, hey, these are my guys. They're all going to perform well. And then you're Muschamp. He's asked, um, you know, do you, do you get concerned about how much is going to be put on the tight ends with the lack of playing time they've gotten, even though you have some older guys in, in the mix? So, and Muschamp was like, yeah, you know, absolutely you do. Now, there, there is a lot of talent at that group. So, do you know, even when you're in two tight ends, um, you know, technically two tight ends, sometimes, you know, we, we've seen South Carolina in the past, especially, you know, when they had a guy like Hayden Hurst. Nick Muse is a guy who can go catch passes. Kevion Mullins obviously going to be a threat in the passing game. So maybe uh, personnel-wise, you, you are technically with two tight ends out there with, you know, Will Register maybe attached as the other guy. But then you, you have your other tight ends sort of split out so you can still spread the field at times and do some different things while these other guys come along. So I, I think it was kind of funny, man. You look at the amount of times people have been asked about this offense this offseason, and it's gotten sort of – I mean, I'll be honest, it's gotten stale that, hey, so what, what are we going to see from this offense? What are we going to see from this offense? Um, at this point – they ain't going to tell us, you know, like it was like the, the amount of information that people have been willing to give about the offense was sort of maybe up here. And as we got to game week and people, you know, people are asking this week, they ain't going to tell you a thing and rightfully so about what this scheme is going to look like. And Chris, you want, let's use the word fluid again. That can be the word of the day. If you look at Bobo and the sort of the different ways how multiple he can be, we really may not know what this offense is going to look like from week to week because there's going to be a game plan aspect, right? But there's also going to be an aspect of molding, hey, which guys performed the way we expected, which guys performed better than we expected, and then which guys just do we sort of frankly have to dial back on, on using. So there's going to be a learning process. I thought Kimry said it very well. Even within the game one, you have to have a good plan going in, but then you have to also have sort of a, a backup plan in mind of, of what your what what are some things you could tweak as, as this game plays out. No doubt, man. I mean, look, here's a general point I want to make. Mike Bobo is is going to earn his keep right <laughs> this year. Because there, there are a lot of challenges, and I mean, including in game one, look, there's a lot of familiarity on both sides, right? Mike Bobo and Jeremy Pruitt, you know, we always talk about these things, how familiar guys with each other. Mike Bobo and Will Friend, who's Tennessee's O-line coach, they're extremely close. You know, Mike Bobo, Jeremy Pruitt, they coach together at Georgia. So there's a lot of carryover. Schematically, you know, Jim Chaney, I mean, Will Muschamp knows Jim Chaney well. They know what the other guys are capable of doing schematically, or they're going to give wrinkles, sure. So it's in these situations, it's a lot more of a chess match where you're trying to anticipate what guys are doing. Some OCs, some DCs, they're going to do what they do, right? And with Mike Bobo, that this is why it's Colin Hill so important. That does take out 
of the equation for him, the question mark at quarterback, right? Because Ryan Holinsky's a talented guy for sure. We know that. We, we know he's got talent. But schematically, in game one in that scheme, you're not really sure. You feel more sure about Colin Hill. You know he knows what to do. Is, does that mean he's going to play well? Not necessarily. And then you got all the rest of the offense to run game. Are receivers getting open? Are they separating? Offensive line protecting? I mean, it all has to work in harmony. But Colin Hill is the one guy he can point to, aside from Adam Prentice, and say, we know that these guys know what to do. So I think it's going to evolve week by week. But also, you know, they, they do have to figure out how are some of these young guys going to perform when they put them out there the first time. We talked about this, too, offensive identity, which really, as Muschamp pointed out today, your, your, your goal, your offense, score more points. That's how you get better. I mean, no matter what it is. But, you know, they're going to have to try to find what it is they do well. I think going into this year, Mike Bobo alluded to it, this is before Marshawn Lloyd got hurt, before they had a starting quarterback, really. Uh, you know, it was just sort of we think we know what it's going to be. And I think, man, that was going to be a little bit more of a reliance on the run game, more tight ends, you know, maybe a little bit more under center stuff. But Marshawn Lloyd's out of the equation. There's still some questions at tight end. I just think it's going to be fascinating to see how what type of game plan Mike Bo- Bobo does put together and then ultimately how it works, how it's executed. Yeah, and there's going to be some pressure there, man. I mean, I I wonder if you if you were sitting down with him, you know, having a beer, just talking, not in, in a media setting, how many offenses he's had that have sort of compared to this one going into a season. And I, I don't want to dog the guys by just saying – I don't want to – because I don't think it's, it's, quote, lack of talent, lack of ability, but you would say where you have so many spots – that have lack of proven, you know, that haven't haven't gone out there and done it in an SEC football game. And I think that's accurate and fair to say that they haven't gone out there and done it in a college football game. And, and until they do, it will remain a, a question mark. So uh, it will be a lot of interesting things for him to sort of, I, I think, learn about his team going through game one. But if you're them, you're hoping you can still find a way to find that W while you're you're learning about this group so all right depth chart comes out um so we'll we'll hit on depth chart we'll hit on injury report from will muschamp and then any other uh thoughts on the uh, the deal as well uh, from the press conference all right depth chart comes out anything or what what was your most surprise i know there was nothing completely out of the blue other than nick muse being um, listed as one of the backup long snappers. What uh, what was maybe your biggest takeaway from the depth chart? Well, I mean, number one was, you know, Jalen Brooks not listed on it. So you go, what's up with that? Is it he's not cleared? Is it, um, you know, they're just not counting on him? And, and we quickly found that out. So, um, you know, I thought it was, I'll just say interesting. You know, it wasn't surprising, but I was curious of how they would list the tackles um, along the offensive line. Would they go ahead and put Dylan Wanham at left tackle as they did? Would they keep him at right? So what they did end up doing was putting Dylan Wanham at left tackle and they put J- Jalen Nichols or Vershawn Lee or Ja'Kai Moore. And, hey, actually, I don't know if this is just because it's alphabetical order. Vershawn Lee was listed above Ja'Kai Moore on the or. I'm thinking maybe just alphabetical order, but – um, so I, th- I thought that was interesting, um, you know, that they just decided to do that. Now, is that the combo that they'll probably go with? I think we probably think so, right, right, Wes? But 
Will Muschamp said that that wasn't totally, you know, set yet. Um, another, you know, maybe two things that, again, I, I don't think surprising, but did catch my eye. Jordan Birch was listed as the Buck backup. And then Tonka Hemingway at defensive end. Now, anybody that's, you know, followed our work at Gamecock Central knows that we've, we've reported that Tonka made a, you know, a substantial impression as a true freshman during camp. Staff's been really impressed with them. I think they've talked about that publicly some too, whether it's Will Muschamp or Javaris Robinson. Uh, but we've heard some things on our own as well about him. And so, you know, he's ahead of, say, a Joe Anderson, a former four-star who's, who's been around. Um, you know, so and, and Jordan Birch, you know, making the number two spot at the buck depth chart. I thought those things were interesting, not not terribly surprising, but just interesting. Yeah, I, I agree, man. And I, I think I'll go back to to the running back spot, Kevin Harris or Deshaun Fenwick. I I get the feeling, you know, you listen to Bobo talk about Deshaun Fenwick, that they still think there's some more ceiling to go there. Like they've been trying to push all the buttons on Deshaun Fenwick because you hear, I mean, when, when the kid's gotten chances, he, he has put up yardage. Now, if you look in some of those games, there's maybe some more yardage to be had on the field, right, where he's sort of gotten what was blocked for, but maybe needs to make one more guy miss, run over one more guy, get that extra yardage on the end of a run. And when they've talked about Deshaun Fenwick, they've been – just over the last few years, right, they've been complimentary of him as a kid, as him sticking it out. He's sort of got a new start under Bobo and now has trying to take advantage of it. But then you sort of hear him say, want him to be a little bit more consistent, uh, want him to run behind his pads a little bit more consistently was something I think last year was always talked about. But big kid, I would say pretty good athlete, Um can do some different things. So I think they just keep sort of trying to push those buttons with Deshaun Fenwick to try to bring him along. Kevin Harris, they, they've said he's the most consistent back uh, multiple times. So, dude, I'm I'm going to be pretty shocked if Harris isn't at least out there snap one just because coaches reward consistency. I think we see that. But – yeah. That that may be a good sign that Fenwick is still pushing up into the conversation. And then um, I, I want to get into the injury report and Quandre White here in a second, but let's just stick with those two guys at first. I, I thought that was at least interesting that Fenwick has done enough to get that or that aura designation on his name at the running back position. Yeah, and I think you just chalked that up to the, the fact that there hasn't been that separation, right? I mean, we all thought that, a healthy Marshawn Lloyd is A, the starter, and B, that there's a good amount of separation. That's not dogging the other guys on the roster. It's just that he's that good potentially, right? I mean, he he really looked good. And, you know, going back to the shortened spring, the summer, into preseason camp before he got hurt, he was going to be the guy, the number one guy. And so with, with Harrison Fenwick, it's close enough to where there's not a gigantic separation. It's not like one of them has, you know, a schematic advantage of having played in this offense before. They don't. Um, they have a similar experience level. You know, Fenwick's a, a little bit older in terms of class, you know, but uh, again, it's the same things. It, each of those guys bring their own questions with Harris. He's not super experienced. He's year one in the scheme. He's had some injuries. Last year he had a serious one. He got back from even quicker than expected. He's been banged up a couple times, a little more minor. 
Um, but you do know what sort of what you're getting with him. With Fenwick, it has been exactly that word you mentioned, Wes, consistency, which is our word of the day on a previous installment. I know today it's fluid. Uh, so Fenwick, you know, it's just being about being more consistent with him. Just he flashes, but just be a more consistent guy every down. So I think that's what you chalk it up to. Just not a ton of separation doesn't mean that either's playing poorly. It's just they got to have one guy, you know, take it and run with it potentially. If that doesn't happen, then maybe you see both play a good bit uh, along with another guy that I know we're going to get to here soon. Yeah, so uh, Zaquandre White, we've talked, I would say, a a pretty good bit about his potential impact. And, you know, when it was was sort of learned that he was in the scrimmage a couple weeks ago and he had played, played well, we we talked that up because it was like, well, that's – that's big news for South Carolina. Then Muschamp talks about him last week, and he says, eh, not sure he's quite 100% yet. Well, then not not listening on the injury report today, he was Muschamp specifically asked about Zaquandre White, sort of lit up a little bit, which is a common theme when people talk about this kid. They sort of get excited, it seems like. They always use the word juice. That's the word of camp, I think. So <laughs> you look, man, this is – to me, that's the kid, that's the guy that you're circling. If he can s- settle in, um, you know, he may not – he's probably not going to be the first guy on the field, may not even be the second running back on the field this week. But if he can stay healthy, he can settle in. That's the guy. That that's to me, was an encouraging sign. Um, I had heard, you know, at one point maybe uh, back when Muschamp was talking about how he, he wasn't quite 100% that they had been doing some precautionary things as far as keeping him off his feet and stuff. I've heard he's been walking around this week. Muschamp said he looked good at practice. So I would say uh, that's a positive sign. It's just a matter of is it this week we start to see that? Is it down the road? You know, is it a situation where maybe the guys that have been in practice more have put in more work, get the first drive, than the second drive, but then when the offense needs a spark, I mean, you've seen we've seen this happen where a guy maybe has missed a lot of time. So you, I mean, that's that's how coaching works. You reward the guys that have been on the field, right? He's been out with the injury, but it wouldn't shock me if at some point in this game, eleven gets in and basically says, "I got this, guys. This is my spot." Yeah, man. I mean. So, so Zaguandre, I mean, he he's the most um, explosive guy, you know, the most dynamic guy on this roster in the absence of Marshawn Lloyd. And so for him, it's going to be about, you know, just getting that opportunity and then running with him. He, I think he's got the ability to do that. I mean, it's a kid who, you know, is a highly recruited kid going to Florida State. So he does have experience, you know, playing in a similar system. You know, some of the stuff that, you know, concept-wise in terms of that pro style, you know, that Jimbo Fisher ran at FSU and recruited him to that system, you know, there's going to be some similarities in terms of maybe what you're asked to do in pass protection or how you're asked to run the football. We know Zaquandre is a guy who can get out on the edge. He can run. Um, He's also more powerful. We saw all this from his that, you know, he got a little bigger. He's better between the tackles than maybe you anticipated based on the high high school film or just the reputation. So he could do all those things. For Zaquandre, it was just about this. He wasn't around in the spring. He got there later before preseason, and then he's missed time. So you just – no matter 
the fact that he had experience at Florida State, had experience at junior college, you are stepping into a system where there's new terminology, new schematic stuff. You're in a situation where you've been banged up a little. So really, it, I think you put it, you hit the nail on the head with it. The guys that are probably going to be out there first are the guys that have been there and practiced a little bit more, uh, that have been around Mike Bobo a little bit more, around Des Kitchings a little bit more. But there's a place for Zaquandre White. There was a place for Zaquandre White when the running back room was fully healthy from what we heard. And, the, and they thought he could help this season. I think that's going to be the case. And I think as the season progresses, maybe even game one, who knows, he's going to have an opportunity that if healthy, he can continue ascending. And I think I wouldn't be surprised at all if he ends up being the number one guy, you know, based on the, the plays that he makes. I think it's going to be a very fascinating race to watch play out at running back. And they need one or all of them to emerge, you know, to have offensive success this year. Yeah, a fascinating question for this week would be uh, which which South Carolina running back rushes for the most yardage, and um, and and how many yards will it be? I, I think um, that will tell us that will tell us a lot about this team, and that will tell us a lot about if South Carolina. If you just knew that stat, you know if South Carolina will win this game or not. Okay, so rest of the injury report, South Carolina, other than the known already that Marshawn Lloyd is out for the year. I would say relatively healthy as far as the guys they're counting on and have been game planning for having this week. Jamar Brown, they've known he's been out. He He's a big part, I think, of what they want to do eventually. Um, they're going to sort of see how, how he goes. Questionable was the official word from Muschamp. Generally, that means, you know, maybe another week, I, I think. But they're going to see how he does the next couple of days, see if he's ready. Alex Huntley rolled an ankle in conditioning on Sunday. Um, he's out this week. Decent chance that he could be back week two. And then Jay Yurick um, sort of will still be in the football program, but is giving up football, having shoulder surgery um, to, I guess, repair like a chronic issue. He didn't really say exactly what it was, but he's had a chronic shoulder in- injury. He'll go. He'll go through surgery for that. He's going to graduate in December. Then he'll be a graduate assistant for South Carolina, working with Connor Shaw in sort of that player development off the field type role, which, uh, Chris, you and I have both gotten to know Jay over the years. Absolutely perfect role for him. I think it's sort of one of those things where I was like, you know, that's pretty cool. You know, I commend South Carolina for sort of take, you know, putting Jay in, in that position. Then I started thinking about it from the other side. I was like, Actually, South Carolina is really lucky to have a guy like Jay Yurick who just connects with people, so genuine. He's been like that since I first interviewed him back in high school. And, uh, you know, it's been fun to sort of – it's been fun to watch Jay just grow into into that role because you always knew he was a special kid, but he's grown into that leadership role among the team and um, I think will do outstanding with, with all that stuff. And I, I'm – interested to see what else he comes up with because we're already seeing his mind working as far as ways to to help a lot of people uh, in the community here in Columbia. I'll tell you, man, uh, what I'll say about Jay is I wish I could be as good of a person as he is. Like, I, I would like to be like Jay when I grow up, that sort of thing. So uh, he, he's outstanding. And I, I think you're right, man. That is an absolutely perfect role for him. Um, he, he's really got the attention of his teammates stands alongside them on issues that they're concerned about. Uh, just just an outstanding individual. So I think that's, that's great for him. Uh, you know, to touch on the other guys, Alex Huntley, 
you know, someone who I think had worked himself into a position where he could have feasibly seen some time against Tennessee, you know, not in that top four, but fighting for that fifth sort of role, a guy that's impressed the staff so far, and I think will continue to get better. And Jamar Brown, I think, you know, Muschamp said a lot today that I thought was really insightful about the dime position in that, and that's what Jamar Brown is, is he's actually listed as, as the guy there on the depth chart. So they'll probably have to play that a little bit differently this week, I would think. But when Jamar Brown gets fully healthy, probably see that more. You know, that dime linebacker spot is position where it's sort of that hybrid safety guy that can go cover middle field, but he can also come down into the box. He's instinctual. It really fits what Jamar Brown was coming out of high school, sort of that undersized linebacker can go cover guys. So we've seen in the past, we've seen Sky Moore and Bryson Allen Williams, who are a little bit more true linebackers, or Bryson was sort of an edge guy, play that role. Now they've got a little bit more depth at the other defensive back spots, number one, you know, most importantly, really, where they can put another guy back there where they feel like they can field enough. I think T-Rob's even sort of joked, but really was was serious about it in the past. They just didn't feel like they could even have that many DBs out on the field. And so now they feel like they can. So um, Jamar not having him, I think, is something to sort of watch. But they, like you said, man, they, they've known that they probably wouldn't have him because the injury was sustained a, a little while back. But he's someone that can help, you know, this team once he comes back. Yeah, and R.J. Roderick getting some run as that dime now. And just, you know, to speak to that depth, the fact that they feel more comfortable, you know, about rolling a Shiloh Sanders in there. He's come a long way, it appears, rolling a Cam Smith or a Johnny Dixon in at corner, which, it, you know, essentially the way their secondary is structured, uh, in order to slide an R.J. Roderick down to dime, that's what you're going to have to do is roll one of those other guys in, whether it's Shallow comes in at safety, um, whether it's Izzy moves up to safety and you bring in a Cam Smith. And um, that, that should be exciting, I, I think, for Carolina fans because it, it can be a bit of a, of a hindrance when, when you play spread teams. Now, uh, against Tennessee, we'll, we'll see what personnel they use. I, I know they're a little more of a pro-style attack with Chaney, and they've got questions at receiver as well from everything I've read. They, they obviously lost some of their studs who were outstanding against Carolina last year. And now they're replacing some guys. So do we see a little more, you know, tight, double tight end, a little more full, you know, a little more under center type stuff with them as well, potentially we'll see, but against your more spread based teams that can put three, four receivers on the field, I would say South Carolina at times has been at a disadvantage in trying to match up with those teams over the last four years. So that's something people aren't really talking about as much, but, probably is a big positive for Carolina this year is when you do play some spread teams, you can actually, because I mean, as far back as you can remember, it's like football one one oh one. you really want to be able to match up where if you have, if they have three receivers on the field, you want to be in nickel. Cause that's, that's, you know, basically three cornerbacks, three guys up close to them that can cover one being a nickel back and two safeties. If they're in four wide South Carolina, a lot of times, Chris, it seems like has stayed in their nickel, at least from a personnel standpoint. Now it sounds like they feel much more comfortable when teams go four. You know, you don't really see much five wide, but um, when teams do things like that, you can put a dime package on the field and get more athleticism out there. Yeah, I mean, that's significant. And I think it, it speaks to the fact that, look, having more depth in the secondary, and, and I don't want anyone to mistake that 
for us saying that South Carolina is going to be, you know, elite in the secondary. I do think they have an elite corner in J.C. Horn and a guy in Israel McQuamu who's really certainly had some really good spurts and I think can continue getting better, you know, whether he's playing corner or situationally playing some safety for them. Um, but they do have the, – the reality is, the facts are, they have more healthy guys at safety, number one. They have three or four guys that they can play there with Jalen Dickerson. You know, we think that he's – you know, he had the little hamstring issue, but he's gotten healthier. R.J. Roderick with another year. Jamie Robinson with another year as a sophomore. Having Shiloh Sanders come on, that's been significant. And then having Cam Smith and John Dixon, Johnny Dixon continuing to progress at corner, it does give you more flexibility, whether it's playing dime, whether it's feeling better about nickel, even whether it's, you know, you know playing regular. You know, last year in this game, because Tennessee had Marquez Callaway and because they had Jawan Jennings, two big physical alpha type guys who could go win one-on-ones that's what Tennessee did so we're going to go max protect and then we're deep to these guys and they made South Carolina pay um, they, they just play matchups and so will they be able to do that this year uh we'll see we know it's definitely more of a question because they don't have those two guys that I just mentioned I think their emphasis this year is probably going to revolve a little bit more about, around running the football but whether it's this game or, or the rest of the season we know that South Carolina feels better about its secondary going into this year. So uh, it's not as much of a question they're going to have to answer, but they're still really going to be challenged by a lot of teams, including this weekend. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. I'm excited to see what we get out of this secondary because, I I mean, I think this has a chance to be Muschamp's best bunch um, since he got to South Carolina. And I think if some guys play up to their, their capability um, – you know, Jamie Robinson another year in the system as a sophomore now. All the guys you just mentioned taking steps forward. Um, I, I think it very quietly could be a big strength of, of this team. It, we just have to see it, it actually happen. And I thought it was interesting today. J.C. Horn was asked, you know, what do you expect from Tennessee? And he said, I expect more of the same, you know, from some of the things they did last year. He really gave a lot of credit to to their coaches for – some of the things they did to get South Carolina's eyes out of position, uh, some of the shifts, motions, um, the over route was something that he mentioned. Um, you know, and, and Carolina did turn some guys loose other times. You know, I think it was worth mentioning uh, what you said earlier was the max protection aspect of that. It wasn't just that Tennessee was getting open downfield. It was that they had all day to throw. And it, it can be difficult when, you know, they're bringing in a couple of extra guys in to block and it's um, like four on seven blockers or, or whatever you have. So I think you look and it's a situation where they won't necessarily have some of the same receivers like we're saying, but they are going to try some of the same things. And I, I guarantee that J.C. Horn, Izzy McQuamu, Jamie Robinson, um, R.J. Roderick, they, I'm sure they have this game circled because of what happened to the secondary last year. So I, I'm I'm curious to see if they can – respond to that and and I actually think that they will and, and the matchup probably shifts just in that part of the game back a little bit more towards South Carolina Muschamp did talk about the game you know today from uh, from last year a bit and you know I, I think you you look at the final score Chris in that game and it feels like Tennessee sort of dominated South Carolina just looking back at that game well you look total yardage I, I think was about the same now, Tennessee was able to run the football some. South Carolina was not. That, obviously, everybody knows has to change. 
But the two special teams um, mistakes, huge special teams mistakes for South Carolina, turned that game. South Carolina goes into the halftime not only with the lead but with momentum. They're coming off one of the best catches we've ever seen from Brian Edwards. And then, Chris, not only do they get shut out in the second half, but they had seven drives in the second half. Four of those drives were three and out. And I think that's – and I'm trying to think back, man. Was that when we really started to see – not that the offense was dominant before, but as the year sort of progressed, there were times when the offense just really struggled to stay on the field later in the year. And that Tennessee second half, after the offense making some plays in the first half, you had Shy Smith scored um, – was that the first play of the game? I know it was the first drive of the game. Shy makes an explosive play on offense for South Carolina. Brian Edwards makes a big play. Um, I think Tavian Feaster had some tough runs down at the goal line um, to get in. But then the offense just not only struggling to put up points, which clearly is going to be a a bad thing, but, dude, the big thing for me for this offense down the stretch, you don't even flip the field, right? You don't even give your defense a breather. It's an old-school way to think of the game, but – even just getting 30, 40 yards, flipping the field, giving your defense a breather, and shortening the game down a little bit, is there's some hidden value in that. And South Carolina was getting none of that value, I would say, in the latter part of the year because you look Tennessee, Texas A&M, even against App State at times, just three, two, way too many three and outs. So, you know, end of – you know, you look at end of uh... – you know, second quarter, South Carolina's got a 75-yard touchdown drive. They, you know, had the long touchdown pass at the beginning, which you, which you mentioned, Wes. But after the second quarter, man, I mean, here's what they went. I pulled it up. Punt for minus 11 yards on the drive. That's what they gained. Punt. Then they had uh, another three and out, minus five yards. All right, now Tennessee scored touchdowns in between both of those, right? Uh, then they had another punt where they gained nine yards. Then they turned it over on downs. Tennessee scored a field goal after that. Then they get South Carolina went three and out again, and to boot gave up a punt return touchdown. Then South Carolina turned it over on downs again, and then they turned it over on downs again. So a bunch of three and outs, a punt return touchdown, and a couple where you turn it over on downs. Longer drives, they needed to go for it at that time. But like you said, man, that's not going to cut it because they need – Obviously, you can't go – you know, the A&M game is like the gold standard for proving the point that you cannot go three and out that much and have any sort of success. But this one really showed it too, right, because, you know, you get you get yourself a lead. You know, Tennessee goes down and they miss a field goal, you know, to start the half, so you feel okay about it. But then your offense sort of falls off a cliff. Tennessee starts making some plays, and that's where it was. So, you know, even though South Carolina was giving up some plays defensively, had they been able to counter on offense, even maybe with just field position, like you said earlier, it could have been a different game, um, but it wasn't. And so that's the biggest overarching thing, not only for this game, but it, for this entire season. South Carolina's third down conversion percentage has got to be better. I mentioned this on Camry's podcast the other day. I can't remember if I mentioned it here. where We talked about this stat a lot. South Carolina was 120th in the country last year in third down conversion percentage. Out of 130 teams, only Vanderbilt was worse. They're really bad. The top five teams in the country, and South Carolina's not going to be top five this year, Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, 
Uh, I know uh, Air Force was in there, and they were a, a 10 and 3 football team. And Oklahoma, that was the top five. So really good offenses. So what that shows you is really good offenses convert third downs. South Carolina doesn't need to get to 52.5% like Ohio State. They got to get better than 120th in the country, right? And, and they can't have the offense fall off a cliff like that in terms of moving the chains for prolonged periods because that'll take even a good defense, which they should have, and turn it into maybe average because they're going to just be facing really tough field position for a lot of the game. Well, and anytime you say the words um, worse than everybody but Vanderbilt. It's not good. It's not <laughs> no, good. no offense to the Vandy boys, but yeah. um, that's, that's, not, that's yeah. not sentences you want being said about your, your football team. Um, so, and, you know, you look, man, I, I looked as well. You look the – I mean, South Carolina had more first downs than Tennessee last year. Um, you know, very similar. South Carolina had five rushing first downs. Tennessee had six. Both teams had 14 um, passing. Well, three three of South Carolina's first downs are actually by penalty. Um, but anyway, total offense, Tennessee with 88 more yards of offense. Um, but just – but time of possession, Tennessee almost with a 10-minute advantage in, in that area. And, dude, the thing about this is – you had, I mean, what it was a it was a punt return for touchdown, right? And the punt block did it go for a touchdown as well, or it set up a touchdown? Yeah, I think that one just set one up. I don't believe that went for a, a touchdown directly. I think, but hasn't much Tim mentioned special team scores? So maybe for some reason I can't think it. I can't. I remember. Uh, I remember. It, I remember the play. I just don't remember if it was an immediate, like it it was a touchdown on the play or a few plays later. Anyway. Point being, generally, when you when you score a special teams touchdown, you lose that that opportunity on offense, right, to possess the ball, uh, which you lose the opportunity, and it's, it creates a lot of times a statistical anomaly that sort of means the stats are skewed a little bit. Well, Tennessee had two special teams, either scores or, or set up a score yet still had possessed the ball almost 10 minutes more and had 88 more yards of offense. So whenever you know, whenever you just look at the stats, you say, ah, oh, it was kind of even, but then you look at that and it's like, okay, the second half, Tennessee absolutely dominated South Carolina. Nothing could go right. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. But I, I think there, there are some things that are sort of um, – Certainly, you look at that game, there's some things that won't carry over, but then there are some things from that game that, you, if you're South Carolina, you better hope they don't carry over. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, one that I, I think is going to carry over is the line of scrimmage, right? Tennessee won it last year offensively. Part of that is because they are pretty good up front, and they're going to probably be better this year. They have a guy in Garantano that is, it's fascinating how polarizing he is, and I've even been hard on him sometimes, but you know, his interception rate is the lowest in Tennessee history, like 2% rate. Doesn't turn the ball over a ton. He, he was two touchdowns, no interceptions last year against Carolina, and some other guys played, obviously, as well. But, uh, you know, so that's something to watch, you know, the the sort of battle up front, how Tennessee plays it, how South Carolina can counter. South Carolina last year, you know, their, their rushing totals were a little bit skewed because of some sacks, but, you know, Tavian Feaster had a decent game. I think he was 4.2 yards a carry. 
They didn't have Rico Dowdle in that game, which was significant. Mondenson didn't do much, and that's not all his fault. And then Ryan Holinsky was under pressure some and, and gave up some sacks. So uh, they they ended up with two-something rushing yards on average. I think it was 2.4, 2.6, not good enough. So we've talked about running the football a lot, the turnover battle. Two teams that could be evenly matched to have some of the same sort of strengths, have some of the same sort of weaknesses. There's some schematic carryover on offense and defense maybe. And so when that happens, I tend to gravitate towards who can run the football, possess it, and move the chains more, and then turnovers because that that's a great equalizer. I mean, it, it, it can be – it's an equalizer when teams are not as evenly matched, when teams are evenly matched. Typically that means the one that is going to take better care of the football is going to be in better position. All right, so um, we're going to do some rapid-fire questions real quick, if that's cool, Chris. Um, but first of all, let's tell everybody about what we have planned for the rest of the week. Um, I'll tell them about Thursday. Chris, you want to tell them about tomorrow? Yeah, sure thing. What uh, what do we have going on tomorrow, Wes? you got to remind me. Um, well, we've got our uh, our Tennessee insider. Yeah, we got our Tennessee insider, Austin Price. Sorry, I got the days mixed up there. I knew the people, but not the days. So Austin Price from VolQuest.com will be on with us. He is, uh, you know, really dug in on their football and on the recruiting uh, side of things with the Vols. Really knowledgeable. He's at Jeremy Pruitt's presser yesterday on Monday and uh, does a really good job with those guys. So we're going to pick his brain about the Vols. And so if you got any questions about him, if you want to hear any insight on the week one opponent, we'll be taking care of that for you with Austin. Yeah, and so Thursday afternoon we've got our old Gamecock Central pal, Alyssa Lang, who um, has obviously done a great job with the SEC Network, I think has her own radio show deal going as, as well. well. We'll ask her about all that, has been on SportsCenter, and she also will be the sideline reporter uh, for the game on Saturday. So I'm, I'm really excited to have Alyssa on. We had her on, um, I think that was maybe last year or the year before when Chris and I got the 107.5 special. And so really excited to have Alyssa. I'm sure she'll have some some really good insight both on this game and on uh, the SEC as a whole as well. So we should have some great guests. Not sure yet what we're going to do on Friday. We're uh, still sort of working through some things there. Um, all right, so real quick, we'll, we'll run through some questions. Greg had asked, um, is, is the waiver evaluated week to week? You know, there's, I don't think it's evaluated week to week. Um, you know, South Carolina will very quickly work to take what – feedback they have gotten from the NCAA and then resubmit, you know, a waiver slash appeal in, in this case. Now exactly how that works and what the timetable some of the timetable is hard to say, Chris, wouldn't you say just because the we we almost forget these are human beings who are going into a desk job and have to literally read it and then ask questions. Maybe they have to respond about certain things. So there is a process here. Yeah. So it's really no no real way to, to sort of guess even how long this may take. Um, as far as Mullins, I, I don't think they'll move him back to receiver. That was a question. We also had a question about Mike Wyman at, at wide receiver. Why not start him? Um, some of the other guys are just ahead of him. You know, I think you look even at the other freshmen, Rico Powers, Jakari Caldwell are both already on the two deep and guys that I, I think are going to help this team this year. But Mullins has done a really good job at tight end, it sounds like. And I think um, – Mullins is going to be on the field, I would say, sooner rather than later for um, for South Carolina. Um, let's see. Did you see – I know we had some more questions, Chris. Any pop out to you? 
We, we did have a couple of questions about Jalen and the fact that Jalen Brooks, the fact that should we be concerned that a guy from a lower division level was able to come right in and be needed so quickly and sort of move up the depth chart so quickly. Chris, I would say that's a combination of things. One, yes, we, we've talked about it. The, it's not an ideal situation at receiver, right? Nobody's sitting here saying that position is completely proven. The other part of it, though, is that Jalen was a late bloomer who just happens to be a talented kid that wasn't really maybe noticed until late in his high school career. Yes, there there are two sides to it. The, the receiver room is a concern, right? Now, that's not to say that Jalen couldn't have stepped in from whatever school he's from and made an impact. I don't know. You know, if, now if South Carolina had three seniors who were future NFL draft picks or two seniors and a junior, whatever, uh, who were proven, consistent playmaker guys, he probably wouldn't be in that top three, right? So from that standpoint, it is a concern. The receiver room is a concern. We've talked about it a ton. But I also don't think that you can just look at it and say, where's he coming from? Wenga can't play. Because that happened with Nick Muse. You know, why are we taking this guy from William & Mary? Because he's good. You know, so you, you can have guys help. It can be both of those things. And so I think that's what it is here. Um, is he going to be, you know, as good as like Brian Edwards or something? No, I don't think anybody's saying that. And that's not the expectation. But he is a guy that can help this team. Like he's got the talent to legitimately help. So I think it's both of them. All right, um, Craig, wanting to know, I'll let you hit this one too, Chris. What's up with Devontae Davis? Uh, T-Rob mentioned MJ Webb and him fighting out for a backup D-tackle spot. Yeah, I think you mentioned Webb and, and Alex Huntley was in that same conversation. You know, we don't know with Devontae. He's missed some time. You know, he li- he missed a year with that list Frank injury. Was that last year, I think, Wes, right? So I think he's sort of still getting back into things. We know that when he was getting recruited, he was a guy that from a uh, – just from a skill set standpoint, you know, his athleticism, his size, the staff liked him. I think um, now is there something else going on? Most champs mentioned in the past, including today, that they have had some COVID issues. They've had to have some guys miss practice. Uh, is that going on? And that's why he hadn't been mentioned. That's possible. But I really don't know that, you know, off the top of my head. But just some other guys ahead of him. There could be a variety of reasons for that right now. All right, Chris, I know you had an over-under. Um, actually, we call it buy or sell on Gamecock Central. Yeah. Did either one of these questions um, sort of pop up with your buy or sell? Are, are they remotely cl- close? And I believe Charles um, is uh, a big fan of Chris Clark. <laughs> I appreciate that. What's up, man? So, you know, I, I did see those two questions. So the buy or sell presented by Bishop Real Estate Group, give them a call, Terry Bishop, former Gamecock quarterback. We'll give him a little plug here. Uh, it was actually, well, are you buying or selling that South Carolina will outgain Tennessee on the ground? That was the uh, the question there, and so that's obviously key. So probably going to be a, two different opinions on that. Um, we, Wes, if you don't mind, we're going to give our take on that on the site later this week. In a written piece, I will go – so let me go to that first question. Can you throw that first one up first? Yeah. I will go a hundred yard rusher. I, I'm not convinced that they'll have a solo 100 yard rusher. I would maybe say total, you know, uh, I don't know that I see 275 yards passing in game one. And that second question, 10 game season. I mean, let's, let's say if, if they have bowls um, and, there's a bowl game that'd be 11. You'd be averaging around 120 team rushing yards 
the game against all SEC defenses. So there's no defenses. there's no chance to pad it with 250 yards against somebody Charleston else. Southern. Charleston Southern was like 700 yards rushing or something like that. Oh man, that is tough. Um, I'm gonna say. What would you say? I'll, I'm going to go just under. I'm going to go like 1,100-ish. Yeah. Do you do you know what they rushed for last year? No, I thought about looking that up. But then I was like, you know what? It's too, it's too skewed because yeah. of those, um, you know, like if we're looking at overall statistics, I felt like it was too skewed because of Charleston Southern. We could probably go game by game here, though. If we can yeah. find, I'm 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 gonna say over. I'm gonna say yes, just because I, I think they're gonna be hard headed in the run. Um, I think they're gonna have to be, frankly. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I think there's gonna be some times when the fans are probably a little bit annoyed by the offense when they when they look and say, "Hey, why why are we still running the ball? Why are we still running the ball? Why are we still run?" That may be the best way to win is to shorten yeah. these games. Give the defense a chance and try to win twenty one seventeen. You know, so yeah. That, yeah. that may be the formula for South Carolina. Uh, all right, rap, rapid fire, real quick. Is Gwen fifty four hurt? No, I, I don't think so. Um, he's actually was mentioned on what was that the Sunday deal? Muschamp does his show as being was that the best offensive player this preseason? Yeah, or? yeah the Terminex. Uh, Terminex Pest, I think, player of the preseason on offense. It was him on offense and Brad Johnson on defense. All right. So, yeah, so Gwen should be good. Um, had a question. Do you think we'll use two quarterbacks to throw them off? I I think you could see Luke Doty possibly out there, if that's what you mean. I, I don't. I think that Hill and Helensky are so similar in skill set, you're probably not going to do a whole lot of trading off. And we will finish it off with this question from Jesse on Facebook. Hopefully Jesse is still with us. On here, um, by the way, want to remind everybody real quick. Quick, Market on Main still has um, some tickets available for their big watch party on Saturday. I promise you, that's going to be one of the best possible atmospheres you can watch the game. Massive twenty-three foot LED screen. We've been working with those guys, Chris and I, were out there on Thursday. Um, you pay fifty dollars to reserve your spot. That's for your ticket, but that also uh, gives you your three-course meal at no additional charge. So you're basically just paying ahead of time. Um, that link, if you want to, if you need it, is on GamecockCentral.com. Just go to one of the forums. It's pinned at the top. But final question here as we've gone over, um, Jesse wants to know, as a fan, what are some things to look for Saturday, show excitement about this season, and signs that the Gamecocks are progressing? And I think, Chris, Jesse is on to something here because that's what you want to see for this entire season, right? I, I don't it, – it's such an unprecedented season. It's such a weird season. It's such a weird schedule. But, I mean, five, five and five would be successful, I think. So, to me, this entire season is about progress, stability as a program, and putting yourself in a position to make a move in the future. So, what – what do you want to see Saturday or what could fans see on Saturday that would answer this question for Jesse? Well, and, and just running it through, you know, 
setting expectations of that with what you said, just from a big picture standpoint, but nobody needs to come away from the game on Saturday, win or lose. I'm talking saying, Oh, the offense only scored this many points. Uh, you know, it's not progress. You, you got to keep it relative and remember where South Carolina was, what they've got going on. Um, you know, that that's an area where they're going to have to continue recruiting. They're going to have to improve. I think obviously winning this game, it is one of the, I would say, my opinion, one of the more winnable games. You know, Tennessee, I think, is a good team, but winning would would fix that. And Now, they could go out and lose all other nine games, and then it's not really showing progress, but a win would go a long way towards doing that. Can South kind of compete and still lose and you feel decent about it? Yes. But I think just showing the offensive sort of system of Mike Bobo playing sort of a clean game, that would make people feel good. But ultimately, man, I mean, progress by fans is going to be measured with wins or losses. And so this is a really important game for a lot of reasons, on-field recruiting, stabilizing things. Uh, that's important. And uh, as Trey pointed out here, a positive for everybody. Uh, if you go to the game, you don't have to hear Rocky Top. Um, I believe – I guess the bands aren't traveling. Is that right? Um, so – All right, folks, I think that's going to do it for today. If you are joining us late, all the shows are archived on YouTube. And um, as soon as I can get it on there, they will be up on all the podcasts, uh, you know, Apple, Google, whatever. There's like a thousand of them now. It will be on all those. So um, for Chris, I'm Wes. Joining us tomorrow, we'll have um, some guys from the Tennessee Rivals site. And then on Thursday, we'll have Alyssa Lang as we move forward four days away from kickoff here on Gamecock Central. We're looking forward to bringing you some great coverage as the week goes on. For Chris, I'm Wes, and we will see you then. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.